Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the programme. I'm Justin Briley, Senior Editor of Premier Christianity magazine. And this programme, The Profile, is brought to you in association with that monthly title. If you'd like to find out more about the magazine and some of the great interviewees we have every month, then do go to the free sample page. You can get a free sample copy of the magazine online at premierchristianity.com slash free sample. And here on The Profile, we aim to get to know someone every week. And I'm thrilled to be joined in studio this week by none other than Jeremiah J. Johnston. Jeremiah, welcome along to The Profile. Thank you, Justin, for having me. And I must say, we've we've known each other for a long time, but we have finally have met in the flesh today. I know. So today I know. is a banner day. It is. It's, and, a really, uh, it's a really good day because we've really since last year or even before last year actually been in touch um you've been on my other show unbelievable a couple of times as a guest um and you've been a speaker at this year's unbelievable the conference as well but at the time of recording um this is the first time we've met face to face when last time i was in london we still skyped (laughs) (laughs) even when we were in the same city we we still had to do it by skype um let's uh, take this back a little bit because um you are the director the founder of the uh, christian thinkers society and um and that's something that's been running for several years now Mm -hmm. and this is something that we teamed up together because Mm -hmm. the aims of the christian thinkers society somewhat similar to Unbelievable in as much as you're about putting a defense of Christianity uh, to Christians so that they can talk to their non-Christian friends and answer some of those difficult objections and so on. Um, what made you want to start that kind of an organization specifically? Well, before I answer that, let me just say what an honor it is for me to finally sit down with you. I so love you <laughs> I'm blushing. and your ministry. I'm blushing. <laughs> um, you have such a unique voice, not only in the United Kingdom, but I'm so delighted for your book, that Mm. everyone needs to buy. And I've read it. I've endorsed (laughs) it. It's a phenomenal look at not just the answers for Christianity, but really, truly the experience of our faith and what what kind of value experience can have on our faith. Because, Justin, it's not all cerebral, is it? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I tried to bring that across, and and the book you're you're referencing, for for those who aren't aware, is uh, the new book that's just released uh, here in the UK, Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian, kind of culmination of all those years of, of hosting debates between Christians and non-Christians. And you did very kindly endorse the book, uh, having read a pre-release copy. But um, we're not here to talk about me. But I'm, I, I just have to say, <laughs> I mean, I, I pray that God continues to raise you up because you. you have such a unique voice, such a unique ministry, mm. but you do it in a way that's erratic, that's peaceful, that's conversational. Um, you represent the faith so well to people who don't know anything about Jesus or who perhaps think Christians are morons. Yeah. 
And yeah. we've all had those those Christian neighbors that we would never actually want to be neighbors with, the people that I don't <laughs> want to be associated. And so you represent the faith so well. Thank um, you. you bring what Paul said, you bring cosmetics to the gospel. So I'm just honored to be seated well, in this studio I, with you. Thank you very much. I, I'm, I am genuinely touched and humbled at those lovely words, Jeremiah. I, but coming back to you, because, um, yeah, hey, you're, you're the guest on this program. Um, the Christian Thinker Society, we've, we've partnered mm-hmm. now, actually, for the last two years on Unbelievable, mm-hmm. the conference, which has been really exciting, having some of, uh, having you over, having other people connected with Christian Thinker Society, in particular, mm-hmm. the Museum of the Bible. Just very quickly sketch out what Christian Thinker Society is, and then we'll, we'll take it back to your childhood and, and up to the present. Well, what, what inspired me to start Christian Thinkers was I was sitting in Oxford in the Griffith Papyrology Lab, where I was working on two of the primary texts for my PhD. And to make a long story very short, on one of those Oxford days where it was dark at three in the afternoon and snowing outside, I just really sensed holding it really a gospel of John Fragment in my hand that God was not giving me these experiences with holding some of the most priceless artifacts of the Christian faith for it to be a reservoir but a channel. God wanted to use me to speak to his church. And you have to understand the backstory. I didn't just show up at Oxford fresh out of university. I'd been ministering in a megachurch context for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I think I was frustrated as, as, as a pastor who would preach Saturday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, of still, forgive me, just the lack of spiritual maturity in my own in our own church. Mm-hmm. And again, in the United States, I don't know what it's like here in the United Kingdom, but I spoke at a megachurch in Houston recently where if I told you the name of the church, you would immediately know which one I was mm-hmm. referencing where the pastor said a, a regular church attender comes one time a month, 12 times a year. Wow. That's mm. now a regular attender. That's what counts as regular. And we wonder month. then yeah. why when these questions hit us, they become barriers to belief, mm. and we have so many Christian casualties now, mm. people who are ex-Christian deconverted. And so I took all of that context into that moment in Oxford where I just sensed you know, I'm not one of these guys that says God spoke to me every, you know, God spoke to me to go to McDonald's this morning or Chick-fil-A if you're in the United States. No, I mean, I know the Lord spoke to me when I came to Christ. I really believe God spoke to me to ask this redhead to marry me, Audrey. And I do feel like God led me to start Christian Thinkers Society, a ministry dedicated to inspiring Christians to become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. Um, but not to do it with any of the Christian colloquial cheesiness. Mm. You know, and forgive me, I don't ever use the word apologetics. Right. Because I got tired of, after speaking in several hundred churches, people looking at me thinking I was apologizing about something. Yeah, sure. And so I wanted to have a ministry where there were no prerequisites, where there was no, and there was no subject that was taboo, where we could look at if, and really it comes down to this, Justin. If everything we say is true that we believe about Christianity, it should be able to withstand our deepest, darkest questions. Mm. And so I wanted to have a ministry that was dedicated to answering those unanswered questions. So CTS began from a card table. You know, no one right. gave me my yeah. ministry. I didn't inherit a ministry mm-hmm. or a mailing list. We just started it, probably yeah. like just like you started Unbelievable, the mm-hmm. program over mm-hmm. 10 years ago, um, with just a vision and a wife that was speaking in saying, you mm-hmm. should do this. And so now Christian Thinker Society is grown by incredible proportions, and God gets all the glory. We have a publishing arm, an educational arm. We are, we're at a Division I university, the sixth most diverse university in America, I might add, mm. in Houston, Texas. 
We're on a three-year international tour with Museum of the Bible. Uh, and then I'm just pleased with all the media. I'm now a Fox News contributor yeah. and just the, the media presence that we're having. Yeah. We're really a go-to for people that have questions. We're going to talk a little bit later about two of the books that have come mm-hmm. out of the ministry, Unanswered and uh, Unimaginable also, forthcoming book. Um, but I want to kind of take us back to how you got to Oxford in the first mm-hmm. place, where you had this sense that God was calling you into mm-hmm. this particular ministry. You grew up in a Christian family, I did. didn't you? In fact, your dad has, has in his time been quite a, a renowned evangelist mm-hmm. as well. Do you want to just give us a little backstory to, to the family situation? I, I was blessed to be raised with a father that very much Billy Graham-style evangelism. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in, and again, churches that were moving their communities with the gospel, but closing and citywide free pizza blast, come get free pizza and come hear about Jesus. I mean, that's really the, the ideal childhood that I had. And so, yes, I have a PhD right now, but I really received a PhD being mentored by all these amazing pastors who hosted mm. our family yeah. for week-long you, events. You would be kind of moving all around. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, we dad was only off three Sundays a year, if that. Wow, so. Right. You know, if I wanted to hang out with my dad, it was at an evangelistic event. So I started. You must traveling. have heard the gospel yeah. message quite a few times <laughs> during that. And finally that responded. Time. It took a while. Uh, but no, when I was seven at his event in Dallas, I came to Christ. And oh, then wow. at the next event, I was baptized by immersion in Atlanta, Amazing. Georgia. Yeah. And, and then felt called to ministry yeah. uh, in Oklahoma at a, a camp called Falls Creek that my dad was, again, ministering in. So, yeah, dad has been a huge part of my sure. spiritual development. And, and I guess for you and your siblings— it's a unique kind of thing to be involved in, in, in this traveling evangelistic yeah. ministry. Um, what, what were some of the pressures, though, involved in that? Because I imagine it, it, it well, has its difficulties really? as well. <laughs> uh, Dad, Dad wrote a book about Satanism in the early 90s, and this was before caller ID and, you know, all the security. Yeah. And, I mean, we would have Satanists call our house and say crazy wow. things. We had the book sold over 100,000 units the first week, and it was Goodness. just... Uh, we would have Satanists come quote the Lord's Prayer backwards and pray to Satan while Dad was preaching. And I mean, Justin, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I think back, I would never allow my kids around this stuff right now. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there seeing all this, and what I'm like, did you 10 let years us into, old. Dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of scary stuff I was exposed to. Um, so that was, stu- it was tough. Yeah. It was tough having a dad gone a lot, but. Mm. I didn't resent the ministry. I didn't resent Christianity because, you know, I would have families just like your own. You know, your wife is a pastor. Mm -hmm. Host us where these, I mean, these are relationships we're still using today Mm -hmm. in our own tour right Mm -hmm. now. Of course. Just godly men and women. So it was a blessing. It really was. And uh, and over time, sort of, did did you kind of, as you, you matured in your faith and so on, you got involved ultimately in ministry yourself. I did. Um, but we all have to come to a point where we own our own faith. Sure. We can't have a daddy faith yeah. or a grandpa faith. Yeah. And um, though I came to Christ as a child, I really feel that my faith in Christ did not become truly something I owned until I was a freshman at college. Okay. And I became very, what happened was dad began to had the wonderful success in evangelism, but felt led to start a local church. Mm. And you have to understand, I didn't realize Christians could lie, <laughs> cheat, steal, <laughs> gossip, and then you worship with them every week, right? Well, you're, they're doing this. You know, you have to understand evangelists, you blow oh, yeah. in, blow up, yeah. blow out. Yeah, sure. You know, you don't really... You don't kind of get the chance to kind of have to live all, cheek by jowl every day, every day of the week. warts and all. Yeah. And, um that was new for me. And ah, so yeah. when I went out to Liberty University, and I only lasted there a semester, mm. um, 
that to me was just a Christian bubble more so than even the local church. And right. my sister had a dynamic experience mm-hmm. there. Um, I didn't. But it wasn't for you. It yeah. wasn't. I just felt like it was everybody was a worship leader okay. I met at Starbucks. And <laughs> and I just, I needed to be, I needed my faith to be authentic. And mm. truly, I think I was two or three days away from leaving the faith. And my mom came to pick me up at college because she knew I wouldn't go back to that school. And uh, we had one of those awesome drives. It was 1,042 miles from Liberty University to my house. And I knew I was something was up when my dad called and said, your mom's picking you up. And we spent two days talking and just m- me throwing questions at her. And that really allowed me to rededicate my life to Christ. And I think had I not had a mom or a parent or someone in my life who was willing to say, Jeremiah, just because l- the first 500 miles was me just letting it rip. Yeah, I can't believe that person said that about us. I can't believe this person did that. These people call themselves a Christian. I'm going to go hang out with my beer drinking football buddies because they would never do that to me. Um, that was my mindset at the time. And so I'm being very transparent in this interview, but um, that's really was a turning point yeah, for me. Sure. I guess it's that thing we all have to learn is that um, Christ may be perfect, but his church certainly isn't. That's right. And I guess we have to come to understand how to deal in grace and love and forgiveness with the people who very often do upset us. And I think it's especially hard on our children. Mm. For those of us who are in ministry or serving in the church, we have to keep a keen eye on our kids because they see all of the backstory of church and the good, bad, and ugly of it. So I I totally get that. And, And, you know, being, seeing that for myself, I'm aware that, you know, I have young kids not dissimilar age to your own and, I don't want them to just because there's obviously stresses involved behind the scenes in ministry to kind of think that's what church is necessarily. Exactly. Uh, and and I, I totally get that. Um, just bring us up to date, though, with how you met Audrey, your wife. So I went home from college and started working construction demolition crew, the, the lowest on the totem pole. Um, but that's the first time, you know, I'd gotten right with God, Justin. I started tithing. Wow. I got paid every Friday. I started a Bible study with the construction guys I worked with. Great. Um, and it's amazing when you make these small steps. You know, John Wooden said, you know, the great UCLA basketball coach, I mean, big decisions are made by little things. Big things happen because of little things. And it's amazing when we come and we get right with the Lord and we lay it all before him, how things just start lining up. So Eight months later, after that, I'm, I meet this redhead. I'm all of a sudden a, a youth leader at a youth camp, mm. and I see this redhead on the beach. And I was the youth leader, so I couldn't date her then. She was there. <laughs> but I did get her number off the youth roster. I don't know if that's okay now or not. <laughs> Who knows about the ethics <laughs> of these things, but you know. It was in the plan of God. <laughs> and uh, and we started a three-and-a-half-year courtship that God really blessed. And I've been married now 13 years to wow. Audrey Lynn Johnston, mm. who— is just a wonderful, godly... She well, Let me tell you what's so amazing about her. First time mm. we went out on a date, she looked at me. Now, dates end in all kinds of unique ways. <laughs> um, she said, can we pray together? I will never forget that. First girl I'd ever taken out who wanted to end the date in prayer. And you I think knew she I was knew, a keeper yeah, at that point. I was going to marry her when I pulled out <laughs> and said, well, I just ended a date in prayer. I need to pray more. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's wonderful. I mean, but of course this story goes on it um, does because you guys actually struggled to conceive we did um do you want to just tell us in your own words sort of what happened and oh what's happened it since? was so frustrating um 
And it was frustrating in, in weird ways, too, because the, the amazing thing about a church is we believe together we, and we suffer together. Mm-hmm. We struggle together. And, you know, those who are listening or watching this program who have struggled with infertility, you know how just really personal that struggle mm-hmm. can be. Absolutely. But it became a point in our marriage where my wife didn't want to go to church anymore. Not that she was angry at God, mm-hmm. but, you know, Becky's going to ask me, are you pregnant? Yeah. It's the I'm going to have to tell face. her the last yeah. treatment didn't work. The last mm-hmm. test didn't mm-hmm. work. And we went through five years of having every aspect of our body checked, which mm-hmm. to me a minister on a minister's salary at the time was like a small fortune to spend to just <laughs> yeah. hear that, sure. you know, you all should be getting pregnant. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong here. Why okay. are you not? You know, what's, and then you start those kind of, um, those prayers that we all pray that whether they're theological or not, they're not, but you know, God, what sin is in my life that you're not hearing me? We become like the disciples in John 9, 2, and 3. Teacher, who sinned, this boy or his parents, that he was yeah. born blind? And remember, Jesus said, neither, but that the power of God will be man- manifest among you. Um, and so Audrey and I, we prayed and we struggled through that, but we really came to a point five years in, Justin, where there was no light at the end of the tunnel, but we had to decide if this was going to kill our marriage kill our relationship, or if we're going to allow it to take us deeper in Christ. Mm. And I think every married couple, when you struggle with an issue, I don't care if it's finances, you know, parents, in-laws, work struggles, you have to make a decision. Are you going to allow that to tear your marriage apart, or are you going to say, we're going to come together in this problem? And Audrey and I had one of these Jehovah Jireh moments. We were on a spiritual retreat. I believe in spiritual retreats. If you're facing a crisis, get away with God and your spouse and just tackle the issue. And we had a decision that we were going to trust God. And it, it sounds so trite right now. We're going to trust God. Mm. But it was a conscious decision no matter what the outcome. And little did we know that a few months later we would find out we were pregnant with Lily Faith. And then we would have a son, Justin. And then God has a real sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> because we just had triplets just a few months ago, triplet boys who yeah. are totally healthy and little cowboys in Texas. <laughs> This is yeah, getting on for um, yeah, a year, nearly a year ago. But the um, the, the funny story as well that yeah, the, as far as this, this affected the unbelievable conference, it did. you were you were booked to come, uh, and when we booked you in, yep. you didn't have the exact kind of arrival no. dates or anything like that. But as the conference drew nearer, it, it emerged that oh, hang on, these triplets look like they're going to arrive yeah. sometime soon around the con- the date we had you booked for the conference. So. In the end, we, we weren't, you, you had to be at your I wife's know. side. And it was just as well, because I think they were born within a few days they were, of the indeed. conference. Yeah. She carried the triplets to 33 weeks, which we now know was a miracle in and of itself. Every other triplet mom we've met, and this isn't empirical, it's just yeah. our own personal, 26, 28, maybe 30 weeks. Yeah. And there's so many God stories in there, Justin. I'll just share one, because I share this now at the ladies' conferences I speak um, to in our tour mm. with Christian thinkers. Our first appointment with the maternal fetal medicine expert showed that two of our three babies were sharing a placenta. And she gave us the 86 things that were going to go wrong with Ryder mm. or Abel, the two that were sharing the yeah. placenta. They were going to develop TTTS, where one of the twins would hoard all the nutrients from the others. And she looked at us within two minutes of meeting us. This mm. is not exaggerating. It said, I recommend a fetal reduction. Oh, wow. Now, just let that terminology that, set in yes. for a minute. You talk about a cultural euphemism. I recommend, I'm sitting at Texas Children's Hospital. Mm. Our dear friend is on the board of the hospital. I trust this place. Mm. And within moments, we're recommended a fetal reduction. Which is uh, abortion another word for an abortion. On demand, of, of you know, down the, the hall. Right. Yeah. 
or it, well, it, we had our choice. We could choose two or, or one. Wow. I mean, can you imagine this? And my wife, who's an extremely reserved, godly, amazing woman, I saw a different side of her. But what's really cool about our marriage, we did not have to stop and have a conference in that moment. Of course not. The decision was already made. I didn't even need to say anything. Mm-hmm. I sat. My mom was in the room as well. We're, you do have the car wreck. You know, did I just hear that? Yeah, yeah. And yet Audrey said, um, Dr. such and such, who we remain good friends with, okay. um, we're not going to do that. We're going to trust God. We started trusting God in 2008, and we're not going to renege yeah, on that yeah. now. So, you know, we, we, so we did. So the boys were born, I think, <laughs> wow. two days after the conference. So it was good. I was not in the United yeah, Kingdom at absolutely. the time. Yeah, they, absolutely. Uh, they spent two months in the NICU, in the neonatal intensive yeah. care. But then they came home. And, and, and I remember, you know, we were in touch over Facebook in the months leading up to it. Just repeated kind of updates, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, requests for prayer. Obviously, prayer you feel really is foundational totally get getting people praying and and the wonderfully they're three bouncing mm-hmm. baby healthy boys now i mean they must be a huge handful though i mean they are it's one thing to have a baby <laughs> everyone lots of people know what that's like having triplets though we sit there at night sometimes and say do we really have three babies upstairs right now is this is this a bad dream we're gonna wake up they're really wonderfully but we're having so much fun and yeah. um we just we think that the lord has a really interesting sense of humor because when mm-hmm. you look at the story now in full context yeah you know sure. god must have known what he was doing you know mm-hmm. the really cool story is we did in vitro so mm. all of our children were conceived the same day Goodness. in 2008. Oh, wow. So amazing. From we had one cycle that worked, we were able to freeze our embryos. I just wrote a story about this because I'm all for the intersection of faith and science. Right. Um, and so all of our boy, all of our babies technically were conceived the same day. Isn't that interesting? They were frozen. That's that's amazing. It, that's it, the other part it, I don't often kind, get to. It's kind sometimes. of mind-boggling in yeah. a way. But what a blessing. And, um, and thank well, you for your prayers. And you all prayed at the conference. Yeah, we did. I mean, we did. We, we had a picture of yeah. them still yeah. in the womb. So uh, we're, we've, we showed another picture at the recent Unbelievable Conference yeah. of the, the Cowboys now born. Of course, so. yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's right, because you are from Cowboy Territory. That's right. You, you live in Texas, Houston. Um, has that always been home for you, uh, sort of those kinds of, that kind of part of the States? Well, we, we have a saying, if you're not from Texas, we got there as quick as we could. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have other Texas-isms I can give you. you know, I've, I've lived in England here, 2009 yes. to 2012. I've lived in Canada, where I was on faculty at Acadia University, and then Nashville for a brief time, and then Houston. <coughs> Houston is now home. Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, my guest on the profile today is Jeremiah J. Johnston of the Christian Thinkers Society. He's also a published author. He's been on a book tour around the United States and has just recently been in the UK joining me at Unbelievable, the conference as well. We're going to be finding out more about all the different aspects of what you do, including the books you've written and a forthcoming book as well coming up, Jeremiah. But um, just quickly, before we get to the end of this section of the show, um, what, what led you to coming to Oxford specifically? Mm-hmm. Um, we, I'd love to hear about why you went down that very academic route yeah. in the end. Well, I met Craig Evans, a mentor in my life, who I did an MA tr- uh, thesis track with Craig, and then my And who examiner. is Craig, just for those who Craig don't Craig Evans know. Is, is, in my opinion, probably the finest Jesus scholar in the English-speaking world. Some would say Jimmy Dunn. I think he's fantastic, too, but... Craig has 700 publications to his name. I met him when I was doing my first master's at Midwestern Seminary. Mm -hmm. I stood in line. There must have been 300 people that wanted to meet him in 2005. 
I shook his hand. We met. A year later, we had a satellite course at the church where I was pastoring. And I went up to Craig. I said, let me take you to dinner tonight. And, you know, the world moves at the speed of relationships. Yeah. And we had dinner that night, and he took an interest in me. I said, you know, I want to I want to do more. And I gave him like 25 different topics <laughs> that I wanted to do a Ph.D. in. And he said, let me mentor you. And he said, let's do an M.A. to Katy University. So I did a thesis M.A. Paul Foster, who's now head of school at Edinburgh, uh, University of Edinburgh, did my examination, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if I should say this on air or not. I think my MA exam was much more difficult than my PhD. Really? In Viva. That's interesting. Because yeah. um, Paul came out swinging. Wow. Um, <laughs> but what a great experience. And so Craig, to answer your question, Justin, found a program where mm. he could, where I could be residential in Oxford. I had an A Bodleian card. So mm-hmm. most of the professors and faculty of theology have an S card. They yeah. don't have an A card. So I could pull up any of the collections. I had to, I had to petition to get this card. Yeah. I wanted to work with Dirk Obink, Daniela Coloma. I wanted to learn some codicology, paleography. I wanted to get my hands dirty in the manuscripts. Yeah. Um, but Craig found a program where he could be my, my director of studies. Amazing. Even though he was in Canada, mm. as long as Paul, uh, who went to did his DPhil at Oxford, was my UK advisor. So it was a really unique program. And this was, as PhDs tend to be, studying a very precise area um, mm-hmm. concerning uh, New Testament texts and ancient texts and so on. Do you want to just briefly Absolutely. explain what the specific well, area of really, study was? It's actually really trendy right now, the whole notion of a, what some might call apocryphal, I call extra-canonical gospels. My mm. pi- primary text, P. Cairo 10759, was found in a, uh, a mummy's tomb. Right. Uh, there were skeletal remains. It was the first non-canonical gospel rediscovered in the modern era. It was actually discovered before the Gospel of Thomas. Mm. Many have called it the Gospel of Peter. Peter didn't write it. Uh, But it really tells us some fascinating things about the central message of resurrection. Mm. And when it comes to its full expression and the Judeo-Christian motif, really more so in the second century than the first century. So I do a comparative analysis um, it's a tradition historical study. It was later published in Bloomsbury's monograph series that James Charlesworth is the editor of. But it's 93,000 words on the history of resurrection belief. Now, that's not the kind of thing you're normally talking about when you go to no. uh, an event, obviously. No. But polymorphic it's, it's, Christology. It, it, and, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. But, it's, but I, I guess it was important for you to kind of get your head into that very academic world in order to kind of be able to say, well, what am I going to pull out from this That's right. for your average churchgoer, for your average non-Christian as well? Who, because in a sense, once you know, once you've got your hands, as you say, dirty with yeah. the, the original text and things like that, and in, in a way, just the academic process, it mm-hmm. gives you a good standing for then saying, here's, here's how I'm going to present this in a, in a kind of, you know, public way. That's right. Yeah, great stuff. Well, and I'll tell you this, I mean, Bill Telford, who interviewed me, or excuse me, who examined me, and he was my examiner at my Viva in Oxford. We sit down. I've done three years of work. They've told me in Oxford is that I'm sure they told you it doesn't matter what you believe. We don't care what you believe. Mm-hmm. Just carry out your arguments. We do yeah. not care yeah. what you believe. Yeah. Professor Telford, who I really admire, Mark and Scholar, sits down and says, Now, Jeremiah, I have one question as we begin. Do you actually believe the resurrection happened, or do you think it's imaginative storytelling? So perhaps in the next segment I'll share how I great, answer Great, great. Let's do that. We're talking today about Christian thinkers, uh, and if you haven't come across them, do check out the website of the Christian Thinkers Society, 
Uh, the president is with me, Jeremiah J. Johnston. He's with me for the second half of today's program as well, going to be telling us about some of the books he's written as well. Um, I'm Justin Briley, uh, your host for today's program. And don't forget, if you want to hear more interviews with Christians in all walks of life, uh, you can check out the profile on podcast, premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. And do ask for a free sample copy of the latest Premier Christianity magazine while you're doing that. That's at premierchristianity.com slash free sample and join us again in a couple of minutes time as we continue this conversation with my guest today dr jeremiah j johnston the profile you're listening to premier christian radio Welcome back to the second part of today's programme. Here on The Profile, we aim to get to know someone who's got an interesting faith journey. And uh, my guest on The Profile today is Dr. Jeremiah J. Johnston of the Christian Thinkers Society. He's also uh, got a position at Houston Baptist University. And uh, he's got all kinds of interesting things going on in his life, not least the fact he's got five children, three of whom are triplets. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm Justin Briley, your host for The Profile today. And don't forget, uh, this program brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. If you want a free sample copy of the latest mag, go online and just ask for one. PremierChristianity.com forward slash free sample. Jeremiah, let's continue our conversation where we left off. Um, You you left us on a cliffhanger. (laughs) You you were... (laughs) In your, um, you know, you'd come to the culmination of your academic career mm-hmm. with this PhD mm-hmm. and the examiner sitting before you asks, do you actually believe the resurrection took yeah. place? And that's how we open the Viva. Wow. So I, and I looked down at my PhD advisor, not Dr. Evans, but the, the college yeah. advisor who told me for three years, doesn't matter what you believe. And I just kind of, <laughs> I said, Professor, <coughs> I said, Professor Telford. The evidence leads me to believe the best probability of what happened is that, yes, Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave. David Hume says wise men choose probabilities, and that's what I'm going with based on the evidence. He pauses, has this British bow tie on, you know, glasses in the corner of his mouth. He said, Jeremiah, I don't see it that way. Let's begin the viva. That's how my, and he later passed me with commendation Wow! and well, endorsed my book to get published, even though he didn't agree with me that resurrection was bodily and physical it's an interesting one isn't it because conversely there has been a real revival renaissance in the numbers of believing Mm -hmm. bible scholars doing really important academic work alongside a genuine belief that Mm -hmm. it's actually true now i don't know how much that provides a conflict of interest but it doesn't stop you actually being able to do good academic work because in many ways, it's people like Craig Evans who are really mm-hmm. leading the field when it comes to these studies. Well, and as I point out in the book I'm writing right now, Unimaginable, there's a lot of bad scholarship, too, that we've had to shed skin with, because, yeah. especially biblical scholarship. I mean, when you look at some of the German scholarship from a couple hundred years ago, I mean, this was not very academic. Um, I don't think it would pass muster in many academic circles today. So yeah. even though there is some believing scholarship, I would still say it is good scholarship. I mean... Bill Telford did not pass my viva because he agreed with me, but he saw the scholar, the yeah. scholarly merit of yeah. it, uh, that it was heavyweight scholarship. And I yeah. think that that's where we can say is, yes, we still need to do, and, and even more so if we believe it, we need to make sure we, as you do so well, Justin, on your program, we represent the opposing viewpoint with respect. Sure. And we let that viewpoint speak yeah. for itself. And yeah. I think you've really modeled that for us. 
when it comes to the Christian Thinker Society, was that partly birthed out of the fact that more and more Christians obviously are being asked to give a reason for the yes. hope that they have? Um, and it's quite difficult to do that in today's climate sometimes because there is, you know, almost hyper-skepticism mm-hmm. regarding Jesus and the Bible and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But what are actually the questions you've found people are being asked or are asking themselves when you've been mm-hmm. at the various events that you've you've spoken at? Yeah, well, and I have to give the credit again to my wife, Audrey. She said, we've got to make Christian Thinker Society unique, interesting, and different. And mm-hmm. so when we started back in 2009 doing live events, um, and again, I was still very new in my career, sure. and, and I wanted to Skype guys in like you, scholars who had th- something to say about something really interesting. And this was back in the day where it was, unusual to have a Skype sure. guest yeah. in the service. Now that's just no big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, we FaceTime, whatever. But back in the day, I mean, it was very cool. Mm. And so I would Skype in a guest like Justin Brierley, and then I would give some kind of rejoinder, 20-minute talk or lecture, if you will. Yeah. And then there's a big crowd there. And then, But the last 25 minutes was nothing but live questions from the audience, texted in. We had a texting software. Mm. can text us 22333 from any number in the world. We're going to get your text if you have the, ha- the, the hashtag we're using that night. Okay. And first question I'm asked, Jeremiah, if God created everything and called it good, Genesis 131, why can't I smoke pot? <laughs> First question in a live audience. The very first question you ever received. You know this. I mean, especially when you get started, it takes a step of faith to take live questions from the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, no... And and then... thinking on your feet. Then we got to the point where I told Audrey, let's make it even more interesting. I want to put the questions behind me bubbling up on the screen Mm. while I'm speaking, Mm. and I don't want there to be any censorship. So I don't like his hair. I can't stand (laughs) this guy. To 911, I'm contemplating suicide. And so... 6,000 text message questions later, 100 events in, we began to aggregate those questions, Justin, into what the most frequently asked questions actually were in churches. didn't matter if it was a Lutheran Missouri Synod church or I was at a Quaker's church two weeks Mm. ago, Society of Friends, Mm. or a Baptist church or United Methodist. I found that the same questions were resonating. So this told me in my data there were questions that pastors were rarely, if ever, addressing from the pulpit. Right. No one's asking me about the swoon theory of resurrection. Sure. <laughs> or exactly know. how that apocryphal yeah. gospel of Peter. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, what sure. P. Cairo 10759 exactly. even means. Yeah. You know, no. Their questions took on a real need tone. Now, people mm. still want evidence, so yeah. I had lots of questions about the Bible. Yeah. So we have a section in my book. So what it really was the organic movement that gave rise to my book that came out un- unanswered, yes. Lasting Truth for Trending yeah. Questions, which then became a Bible study and video series. Same group that Beth Moore works with, I work with at Lifeway. So tell us what the specific questions were in an answer that you had yep. collated from these 6,000 texted questions that, that you specifically chose to answer. So paranormal, huge question. And right. I've had a lot of fun with that question. That's so really interesting. So. so that's a real kind of interesting Absolutely. concern for people. Well, 80% of Americans, according to Baylor ISR, say that they have had a personal ex- per- paranormal experience. Well, there's some interesting research here in the UK which showed that, funnily enough, a number of people who label themselves as atheists still believe in ghosts and things like that you know often people's beliefs don't necessarily always match up yeah they're not in alignment are they well and that's very similar in the first century jesus and judaica i mean jews believed in ghosts the the church could have done ghost stories for the resurrection (laughs) and actually had a better talking point than a bodily resurrection so so paranormal 
Um, that and I've had a lot of fun talking about that. I've academically written mm-hmm. on Kingdom of God, Kingdom of Heaven, which I mean, the greatest evidence of that was Jesus as the famous exorcist that he mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some great stuff I do in our live events where. You know, if you wanted to put a hex on your Bach boss, you know, I have incantation bowls. You do it in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus worked. So Interesting. Yeah. I provide a lot of context. But again, there's a deeper issue to that question because Christians respond, A, with skepticism. Oh, I can't believe a Christian would ever go to a psychic. Mm. They're so dumb. Well, mm. I buried my next-door neighbor, Allie's, their son, who was 14. I will never forget when Mr. and Mrs. Allie said, Jeremiah, um, can we go to a psychic? We really need to contact our son. Wow. Mm. How do you respond to that? Yeah. And so it gave me an opportunity to biblically respond. So yeah. we can respond with skepticism. and then you. But then there's the, the paranormal world teaches a false gospel mm. that if you have a decision you need to make, come see a psychic. We're going to help you have wisdom mm. in your life. It's mm. amazing how mm. Christian it sounds. And it's playing on that natural feeling that Absolutely. We, we, we feel lost and we want to connect with people, but it's kind of giving something that that is obviously not the correct way of dealing with that particular emotion. Well, and a lot of us can be like Saul. I mean, God was silent in Saul's life. He goes behind enemy lines to consult the witch of Endor. I mean, think about I just wrote about that passage that many Christians obviously avoided. So that was one. Uh, Questions about biblical literacy. You know, the best-selling book that few read and fewer understand. I quote Mm -hmm. Harper Lee, you know, the Bible in one man's hand is more dangerous than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. Um, And then resurrection, body of proof. How can I know that the resurrection really happened, and Mm -hmm. why does that even matter? Mm -hmm. The resurrection is something we only hear about once a year. You know, but now we're living in this zombie craze. I talk in the book, you can get a Ph.D. in zombies today at a a university (laughs) in the United States. Well, there's just been a huge number of programs, TV programs, The Walking Dead, all that kind of stuff. And it's huge, hugely. So what... But then the, the the next three became were my top three. Well, obviously, evil, suffering, and pain, the number mm-hmm. one reason that people leave the faith. And yeah. I responded from that even more so philosophically, biblically. Yeah. Because there's a theology that I don't know about here in the United Kingdom, but it's really taken root in the United States that, you know, if you confess that you're in pain, you, you lack faith. Right. You're not walking in victory. We mm. just need to walk in victory. We right. just need to be up all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, have you read Paul lately? Yeah. He wasn't up all the time. You go home and you read 2 Corinthians 1. He's called the Job of the New Testament for a reason. He had so many problems in his life that people said, this guy can't really be an apostle. His life is so messed up. Sure. Yeah. And Paul is channeling that in 2 Corinthians 1 after you know, he, he talks about the God Paraclesis in Greek, the God of all encouragement, the God of all comfort. Ten times in five verses we hear about the God of all comfort. But then he goes to verse 8, I don't want you to be unaware of the trouble we faced in Asia. Yes. He doesn't want the church yeah. to be unaware of the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. He uses that word apocrymai in Greek. It's found only one place in 138,000 Greek words. I have the sentence of death within me. I don't want to go on mm. living. Mm. This is Paul talking. Yeah. So, But he, he talked about the past, but he didn't live there. And he goes on in verse 9 and 10. I look behind me, God was delivering me. I look mm. before me, God is going to deliver me, and God is delivering me now. Mm. because of the resurrection, I yeah, hope. So yeah. I answered that using 2 Corinthians a lot. Uh, but then the the next two, what we just talked about on a different show here at Premier, um, the silence of God. Yes, I feel like God has unfollowed me or unfriended me. Mm. You feel like God's put you in time out? And that's a huge one for many Christians as much yes. as non-Christians. I, I've heard so many 
Christian friends who have said, okay, you can give me all the evidence mm-hmm. you like about the resurrection, but I just don't feel like I've heard from God. I don't, I don't have these experiences other people talk about, you know, That's where right. apparently God's telling them what to have for breakfast. Yeah. It just doesn't happen for me, yeah. you know. So, yeah, where do you begin with that? Well, and it's tough. And I, first, I identify with your friend that has that, that mm. point because we want God to speak to us. We want to be in touch with God. And, and then a lot of us, we want to recover that genuine, vibrant faith we mm. had when we first walked to sure. Jesus. You mm. know, that youth camp revival type experience. And maybe and, it feels like it's all gone dry yeah, or something. Just almost the, I don't want to be too mystical, but the longer we can be with God, we can sometimes feel like he's more distant. Mm. I mean, this has been true in, in many people's yeah. lives. And in the Bible study version of Unanswered, and I talked about this at, at, the, uh, at Unbelievable, the show, I mean, Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, wrote frequently about his own struggle with the silence of God. Mm. So think about this. A Bible study that, at least in the United States, I think every church has a copy of Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby. The, sa- the author writes about his struggle with the silence of God. So mm. I would tell your friend they're not alone. Yeah. And I would say that 80% of people right now listening to this broadcast want to hear from God in some area in their life and where they feel like he's silent. There's 7,487 promises. Let me say that one more time. 7,487 promises in God's word from God to man. There are only 200 from man to God. One Bible scholar went so far as to say all 2,461 verses in the Psalms is a promise from God. Mm. 1,000 promises in Ezekiel, mm. 1,000 in Isaiah, 1,000 in Jeremiah. Mm. But your friend and my friends and the people watching and listening to this program, we can't equate the problems in our life with the promises we see in Scripture and we say he's silent. Where yeah. are you, God? Yeah. And so what do we do? I mean, what, what did Audrey and I do when mm. we struggled with God's silence? Well, first we, we take it to the Word of God anytime we have an unanswered question. You know, I don't go looking for the will of God anywhere else but from the Word of God. I mean, I appreciate Christian friends. Mm. I appreciate mm. pastors and mm. sermons. But for me and my spiritual life, I'm going to go to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that seems trite. It's true, and it works. Yeah. And I began to notice, Justin, so many men and women in the Bible who God really used struggled with his silence. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is 75 years of age when God calls him in Iraq to go through Syria, 1,500 miles of the Promised Land, because we're going to give you a son. Just trace the chronology. Go home and do a Mm. Bible study. Genesis 12 to 18. Seven chapters. We see God is silent, not once but twice, 10 years, then 13 years. God appears to Abraham in Genesis 17, I am El Shaddai, walk Mm. before me, be blameless. Abraham starts laughing in God's face. Mm. I love that. (laughs) I love that the Bible does not cloud the perspective of what people are really like. And God says, okay, you're laughing at me. You're going to name your son Yitzhak in Hebrew, Isaac, laughter. Every time you call for your boy, you're going to remember you laughed at me (laughs) and my promises. But God says, my ways are not your ways. Yeah. So I think that there are many other places in Scripture we could go. So that's what we were talking about at the conference, too. It's a huge area. I mean, um, the final question, I believe, remaining is revolves around mental health. Yes. And that, in a sense, this is the number one question because it feels like just in the last decade or so, mental health has just come onto the the scene in a way it never was before. Mm -hmm. People either just being open to talking about their struggles with mental health or the, the rise in the incidence of mental health issues for young people, and maybe that's to do with 
the kind of culture we live in today, which you know puts more pressure than ever before on young people in their, terms of their peer group and that kind of thing. Where, where's this all coming from, as far as you mm-hmm. see, in terms of the, the issues around mental health? Well, there has been a meteoric rise and deaths of despair. This is the new trendy term, deaths of despair. Mm. And that includes suicide, alcohol-inflicted deaths, drug-induced deaths, depression-induced deaths, Mm. any of the associated mental illnesses. I just wrote an article for Fox News that the CDC in the United States, Center for Disease Control, just released findings that as of 2014, suicide rates are are at a 30-year high in the United States. So... This is a problem that is not going away. It's getting worse. The World Health Organization actually called it a public health crisis. Depression is now more dangerous than smoking for your heart. We have, I mean, I could go through all the statistics. 48% of the people watching this program or listening to it will themselves struggle with a mental illness at some point during their life. So no one's unaffected by it. Unfortunately, the church has been utterly silent on this issue. Mm. You know, what, where do you go at the Christian bookstore and say, where's your section on the Christian and suicide or yeah. the Christian and anxiety? It hasn't existed pretty much. It hasn't. And we have the, we, this is what I love about your program and your ministry. People want to be resourced. They want to be equipped. They, know, they want to know that they can do it in a way that with integrity, but where they can do it in a way of transparency. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your leadership in this and really leading this new movement, Justin, mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of answering <coughs> and meeting people where they're at. Um, and so, yeah, I was amazed that for every one question we get for the Bible, we get three about suicide, mental wow. health, and the intersection of faith. And where is God, you know, does, can a Christian commit suicide? Hmm. Does a person who commits suicide go straight to hell? And so when there's, an, when there's silence and there's an absence of truth, all hmm. this misinformation yeah. flourishes. Yeah. And so I'm not just dealing with the question. I'm having to pull back all of the bad information out there because why do we go to Google instead of God's hmm. Word? Think about it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of bad information just a few clicks away. Yeah. And so we've been able to answer that question, give coping mechanism, intervention steps, and we're seeing so much healing, especially in our live events. Um, if people want to get hold of the book, what's the website, the best place for them to go? You can go to unanswerdbook.com, or you can go to lifeway.com slash unanswered, or you can go to christianthinkers.com or Amazon or at a store near you. Yeah. But if you want to just search it, Unanswered yep. is the title of the book, um, Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. But you've got a new book very shortly due for release. And it's, it's again, it's Un at the beginning of the title. And this could get confusing because I, I host Unbelievable. <laughs> I've got a book out called Unbelievable. You've got a book called Unanswered. And now a new book coming out called Unimaginable. That's right. Do you want to just give us a, a quick yeah. idea of what's, what's involved in this next book? Well, if we were to listen to the atheists today, they want a world that has no religion. They want Christianity to be sidelined, and supposedly society is just going to immediately improve. If you listen to many of the new atheists, who many of whom you've interviewed, um, the world would be a much better place without religion. Often the story is that kind of Christianity kind of stopped our development. You know, the Middle yeah. Ages kind of meant that we or the were, Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, Total exactly. Misnomer. The, the Dark Ages were responsible for putting a break on scientific progress. And at last we managed to get over them. And once religion's out of the picture, yeah. we'll progress even faster. So that's the narrative and culture, which I'm sure will be, not be surprising to any of your viewers or listeners. But... You know, books don't happen in a vacuum. So can I just tell you how this book came about? I'm watching a program with my wife on Amazon Prime. I don't endorse everything on this program. (laughs) 
Man in the High Castle. Oh, yes. And it's a dystopic virtual history, counterfactual history on if the Axis powers would have won World War II, yeah. what kind of world would we have? Mm. It was eye-opening. Yeah. It was everything that you read about a, in the a, world. A kind of a what-if scenario. Exactly. Yeah. And <clears throat> I thought this is a great way to teach because what would the world be like without Christianity? Would it be a much better place? Well, I don't think so, mm. and based on the historical evidence. And not only are, do we live in a society that's utterly biblically illiterate, but we have a society that's historically illiterate. We don't know what we don't know anymore. Mm. And we don't realize many of the great amenities that all of us enjoy, especially in Western society, come from the origins of Christianity. Mm. And Justin, I wanted to write a book, and it's coming out in a hardback. It's going to be sixty to 70,000 words. It is a heavyweight book that looks at the primary areas where Christianity has changed the world for the better. And it's not just in the past. It's how God's using men and women today to do amazing works mm. for his name, like you experienced in Africa, yeah. like my friend who's rescuing girls today from the slave trade, mm. the sex slave trade in mm. India. Um, but there's been some interesting things. I've learned so much writing this book. Yeah. Um, just the whole notion of racism. Hmm. I have a section on racism in the book that I think every person needs to read because racism is invented by the classical writers, Aristotle, Plato. These were deeply racist, hmm. bigoted men. And of course, they're romanticized in our universities yes. today. And I'm reading along in all my studies, primary texts, secondary sources, and all of a sudden this literature of racism stops in the 400s. Why does it stop? What happens to racism? It goes away. It, it vanishes. Mm. Christianity. It's the rise of Christianity. It, it's what you're tapping into there. I am seeing in all kinds of different ways coming through with other historians. Um, I had on my Unbelievable show last year. Uh, I don't know if you managed to, to hear this edition of it, but um, uh, it, it, he's, he's a well-known, popular historian um, called Tom Holland. And he mm. wrote a piece for The Spectator called... Um, uh, about why he's changed his mind on Christianity. And he said when he began his historical studies, he kind of bought the general narrative, you know, oh, mm -hmm. Christianity, you know, well, the, the values we hold today in terms of democracy and equality and so on, they, they would have all come about anyway, regardless of our history. And, and he realized as he studied the Roman Empire, the mm -hmm. pagan cultures of that time, Christianity was utterly unique. And there was no guarantee whatsoever that we would have had the society we have today no. if those other cultures had been the ones that won out. And I've, I'm seeing it through other people. I mean, Rodney Stark, who I think yes. you've, you've met and interviewed and so on. Uh, again, s trying to counter this, this myth, really, that it exists is. around the idea that, you know, oh, you'd, you'd get a kind of Western-type mm -hmm. society uh, through any kind of mean, you know, j just by being rational about things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, there's, and these are stories that we need to know because we do need an answer. We do need an apologetic of why Christianity has blessed the world. I mean, I would not have wanted to be a woman in the Roman Empire. Mm. I mean, women were essentially, I mean, Plutarch said that women should be chained at home under their husband's total absolute control. A woman, I mean, had less rights than the male slaves in the home. And so when the critics <clears throat> come against some of the writings of Paul and say, what a sexist bigot, what yeah. they don't realize is the things he's saying are actually incredibly countercultural within their context. Oh, my gosh. And I mean, the, the Christian movement was not a feministic movement. I need to say that. But everything about what Jesus taught revolutionized the way women were treated. Mm. Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor female. 
John 4, John 11, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he gives that mountain peak gospel passage. Who is he, te- who is he speaking mm-hmm. that to? Mm-hmm. Two women, Mary and Martha. Just the fact that the first witnesses to the resurrection yeah. are women. It, is, the same it, is women who Luke gives us earlier in Luke 8, 1 through 3, who are the same exact women who financially underwrote Jesus' yeah. ministry. Mm-hmm. Jesus had financial needs. He didn't have money fall down from the skies. No, he had mm-hmm. women who took care of his needs. And so... We, because of our historical distance and our historical literacy, we do not realize how revolutionary this was. Even in the Ju- Judeo context, I mm. mean, you didn't teach women. Women mm. were not permitted to speak. Women were not permitted to sing during worship. They could only move their lips in the synagogue. Jesus comes along, and because of the Spirit of Christ in the church, women take leadership roles. I mean, immediately. Mm. Um, women can do baptism. Women can take part in the Lord's Supper. I mean, fascinating. And so that's one of the subjects we discuss. And it's in a sense, only if we know our history, that we won't commit the same mistakes. Because I right. think people kind of blindly assume, well, we're, we're all rational now. We're not going to go back to some sort of system of, you know, inequality or whatever. But actually, we need to guard these truths we do. very, very carefully, don't we? Because here's the narrative. The 17th century, the Enlightenment. Mm. That's what the atheists called it. They were enlightened. Um, they pick up the narratives of Aristotle, Plato, and all the racists of the classical era. Mm. And so we have Sartre, we have Nietzsche, we have all of these people. Nietzsche said some men don't have a right to exist. I mean, And the modern-day equivalents, I would dare to say, are people like Peter Singer, who yes. are now saying, well, there's no such thing really as you know, you know, uh, privileging humans. That's right. It's, it's really, you know, and, and suddenly... There's nothing unique. We're not made yeah. in the image of God. And so we shouldn't be surprised. I've just finished writing my section on Hitler that someone like Hitler actually comes to power and puts into practice what these Enlightenment philosophers said. He actually does it. Mm. And we get the term eugenics. Some people just are not fit to live. It's a scary idea that the what if, you know, as you it said, that, that was what the man in the high castle was envisioning. And, and a fascinating thing to be able to say, look at what we do have because of Christianity. The Jesus factor is huge. Yeah. Amazing stuff. I wish we had more time, but we're out of time, <laughs> Jeremiah. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story uh, about the work you've been doing and, of course, your, your, the, what you've been doing with the Christian Thinkers Society. Again, if people want more information, the website is... ChristianThinkers.com. ChristianThinkers.com. Uh, it's been lovely to meet you in person at last mm-hmm. after all this time. But thank you so much for being my guest on the profile today. Well, thank you, Justin. And thank you for your encouragement of me, my ministry, our family, and also your endorsement of Unanswered. Well, thank you for, for coming on. If you want more information, uh, both about the book available now, Unanswered, and indeed the forthcoming book, Unimaginable, again, ChristianThinkers.com. I've been Justin Briley, your host for The Profile this Saturday afternoon. If you want to listen back to today's show, go online. Find us on iTunes as well as a podcast, premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. And don't forget to check out the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. Uh, That's who we bring you The Profile in association with. If you want a free sample copy, as usual, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Coming up next, Dave Rose is bringing you some of the best bits from the past week here on Premier Christian Radio.